Good morning. It's my pleasure to be here with you today and really is an honor and a joy having spent um, four or five years on staff here. Um, it's a gift to be with you again. So I have a lot of friends that are still at the church and then for a lot of you, um, I might be new, but it's my pleasure to be here today. Um, let me open us up with a quick word of prayer. God, we do have so many things to thank you for. And I pray this morning that you would use your word and you would use this message to stir up gratitude in us, that you would cause us to be a thankful people, or that we would remember all the blessings we have in Jesus Christ. So speak to your people through your word today. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes it can be helpful to take things apart to better understand how they then fit together. That happened this past summer as my wife and I tried to put together a swing set for our three-year-old daughter. About halfway through, it wasn't going well, meaning that my wife and I were not only ready for marriage counseling, but things simply weren't fitting. The pieces were no longer working like they should. Now, if there's a Murphy's Law that says that anything that can go wrong will go wrong, I think there's a Crow's Law that says any house problems that can have a problem will have a problem. Now, after several calm, adult-like exchanges, saying things like, let me see those directions, or I told you it didn't go that way, we decided to pause because we realized we had built something wrong and we were stuck. Now, this was day two and probably about six hours into this test of our sanctification. Now, because things weren't making sense, we had to actually disassemble everything we had done so far. And then after we took things apart, we laid them in their different piles, we took a break for our sanity, we stepped back. And by taking this step back and looking, we then understood how each piece was supposed to work in light of the whole. We were able to put things back together and eventually we finished the swing set. And we vowed to take a temporary break from projects for the sake of our marriage. Well, this morning, I hope to do something similar with Thanksgiving, minus the frustrations. I want to provide a blueprint of biblical Thanksgiving by considering four features or aspects of it. I want to discuss them each individually in hopes that we'll then understand how these parts fit together. And let me say, this isn't simply a part of having a good understanding of Thanksgiving. But my conviction is that this will help us see how significant and powerful it is, not only in God's word, but for our lives as Christians. Giving thanks is an essential part of the Christian life in all circumstances, not just when we're posting images that say hashtag blessed. Thanksgiving then is actually an act of worship that unites our heart toward God. It builds our trust in him and then it gives us joy in him. The outline this morning should be pretty straightforward. We'll consider these four features of Thanksgiving, and then we'll use Psalm 107 to look at each of them in action. Well, the first feature is being thankful. The first feature is about recognizing what you have to be thankful for. In other words, Thanksgiving begins with being thankful for something. We often lack gratitude because we're unaware of the mercies and the gifts that are surrounding us. And if we never take this first step in experiencing gratitude by seeing what we have to be thankful for, then we'll never actually give thanks. 
And so thanksgiving starts by not taking God's gifts for granted. Now, since we just had Christmas, I'll use receiving a Christmas gift throughout this message to illustrate all four aspects of Thanksgiving. And I hope you received at least one gift that you enjoyed. For me, one gift that I'm thankful for is that my wife got me a couple of books that were part of a 13-part series by Wendell Berry. These were the two that I didn't have. Now, when I unwrapped the present and I held the book in my hands, I had something I wanted. This is a thing that I was thankful for. And that's where Thanksgiving always starts. That can be a material blessing like a book or barbecue. That can be a promise of God. It can be an encouragement from a friend, a provision in trial. It can be the gifts around us in creation or even God's grace to you in a trial. But it starts with reasons we have to be grateful. Let me show you this from Psalm 107. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to look there. Um, and if you don't, you can always go to Bible Gateway. This is Psalm 107. Let's begin with the immediate things they have to be thankful for in verses 1 to 3. 1071 says that they thank him because he is good and for his steadfast love. And then verses 2 to 3 explain that goodness and love by saying it's proven when he redeemed us from our troubles and he ended our exile. And so these are the reasons behind their gratitude. And we'll see several more of those works later on in Psalm 107. Well, the closing verse in this chapter, verse 43, it gives us an admonition not to miss these kinds of things, not to miss the blessings and the gifts and the work of God. Verse 43 says, whoever is wise, let him attend or pay attention to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. It's an encouragement to live with open eyes so we see the works and the gifts and the acts of God. Before moving on, I want to give one quick application. If we want to experience this first feature of thanksgiving, then we need to have open eyes and attentive minds to see what God is doing. Too often, we're distracted by all that's on our plate, rushing from one thing through the next, driven by busyness and distraction. Or we fill our mind with news, with social media, and with entertainment. And what happens then is we can miss God's blessings in our world or in the word because we have tunnel vision. We're driven by that busyness and distraction. And so we then don't, we don't feel grateful because we don't recognize the reasons we have for gratitude. And so what we need are new habits of attention to replace our bad habits of inattention. And so through intentionally living present to the world and to the word, we discover who God is through what he's doing. We see the gifts that are around us and we notice how he is at work. But until we put away the distractions, until we slow down and we pause to look for his faithfulness, we will miss out on seeing him. So that's the first feature. Thanksgiving begins with being thankful for something. The second feature of biblical thanksgiving is that we recognize the giver of the gifts. So biblical thanksgiving, it includes being thankful for something, but also being thankful to someone. 
The Bible never speaks of thankfulness in general. It always points us to a person. Now, the step of recognizing God's gifts is essential, but it's incomplete. What we're thankful for is meant to point us to the person we're thankful to. And as believers, we recognize that God is ultimately the source of every good thing in our life, even the good present in trials. Now, returning to my Christmas morning illustration, I'm not only grateful for the books I was given, but then I'm grateful to the person who gave them to me. My wife spent her time, her energy, and her money to get me something. She was kind enough to get me something that I actually wanted rather than just getting me something I needed, like a treadmill. So I'm thankful for this gift, but ultimately I'm thankful for the person who gave it to me. Now returning again to Psalm 107 to see this, notice that they're thankful to God, their redeemer, their helper, and their rescuer. Verse one says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. And then the common refrain that shows up four times in this chapter, first time in verse eight, it says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works. And so we're thankful for many things in our life, but ultimately we're thankful to the one who gives them to us. Time for a quick review. So first we have things that we're thankful for. Then we see that that points us to a person to be thankful to. Well, this third aspect is that we actually say thank you. It's a reminder that thanksgiving actually needs expressed. Tim Keller writes, it's one thing to be grateful. It's another thing to give things. Gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. In the Bible, we see that we can give thanks in various ways. It's prayed, it's spoken, it's sung, or it's written. But in some way, it does need communicated. Unspoken gratitude is incomplete gratitude. I find that when I don't express these feelings of gratitude, they just quickly fade away. And imagine how weird it would be for me on Christmas morning as I open these gifts from my wife in front of her if I didn't say thank you. If I just opened them and was like, oh, these are great. I love this. I'm really excited to read this book. Okay, what's next? What's for lunch? That would be weird. It would seem wrong to get these things from her and then not express my gratitude toward her. Not just because that's my duty, but gratitude calls for expression. It's like the steam in a pressure cooker that eventually needs let out. Well, we see this throughout Psalm 107. First verse says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Verse two, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Four times it repeats the phrase, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Verse 22 says, and let them tell of his deeds in songs of joy. And verse 32 says, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. So part of thanksgiving is expressing it, not just feeling it. Well, the fourth and the final feature of thanksgiving, it's less about something we do, but it's something that happens through this process of thanksgiving. And it's that thankfulness to God actually leads to joy in God. 
And I think this final step is the secret sauce of biblical thanksgiving. As we give thanks to God for his gifts and we can actually enjoy them, we can also look through that gift to learn more about the giver. In doing so, we grow to love the giver even more. John Piper writes, we are able to see every gift as a beam from the sun of God's glory. Every joy in the beam runs up to the foundation of light and ends there. No created thing becomes a rival, but only a revelation of God. And so if we can get to a place where we understand that thanksgiving points us to a person, that's the second feature, then we can get to a place where we can have a stronger and better relationship with that person. And that's this fourth aspect. As we recognize reasons to thank someone, we discover more about them. And I'm not just saying that the giver is more important than the gift. And I'm certainly saying don't enjoy the gift. I'm saying the gift tells me about the giver. And that's why thanksgiving actually strengthens our relationship with God. Returning to my Christmas illustration one more time, if my wife gives me a gift card, I won't complain because gift cards can be useful. Trust me, if anyone wants to send me a gift card, I will take it. I love gift cards. But if my wife, the person who's supposed to know me, if she gives me one, it might suggest a lack of thoughtfulness um, or that she just didn't spend much time on the gift. But her gift of the book reveals that she actually did spend time. She was thoughtful. She had me in mind. And so I see her kindness and her love through what she gave to me. So as I recognize, recognize this, I receive the gift from her, and then I tell her thank you, there's this unifying relational act that's going on in Thanksgiving. So telling her thank you, it isn't merely a duty, but it's what brings delight into the relationship. And that's the aim of biblical thanksgiving. And it's part of why I think it's so important in the Bible. It's not just another thing that Christians are called to do, but it's the way we get to know God and we find our joy in him. By giving thanks, we deepen our friendship with God and our trust in him increases. Well, I want to now take us to the heart of Psalm 107 to consider how do we see this fourth aspect of thanksgiving? And I hope this not only explains or illustrates thanksgiving, but my hope is this morning it stirs up thanksgiving in you. Well, before we dive in, a quick reminder that we'll see in this chapter four mini stories or four vignettes about groups in Israel that were suffering who then experienced God's redemption and God's help. And while this chapter, it most likely specifically referred to Israelites under Babylonian exile, I think it applies to many of the problems and the predicaments all of us face as people. They're examples of where we need or have experienced God's help and deliverance in our life. And ultimately, what we'll see is they reveal God's attributes through his actions on our behalf. Well, the first group we see in verses four to nine, and they are the wanderers in the wilderness. The first group is described as those who have gotten lost in the desert. They're far from the safety and the provision of the city. Now, I'm not just talking about a 30 minute stretch in the highway where you can't find a Chick-fil-A. I'm talking about the middle of the desert where you don't see anything for days. And here they are, they're lost, they're alone, 
and they're aimless. They dream about just having a cup of water or a plate of food or a place for some shade and shelter. And we can find ourselves in these stories. This section speaks to the following people. The lost and confused who don't know how they got where they are or where to go next. Those who feel downcast in a desert, either because of spiritual dry season or because of the pounding sun from life's trials. It speaks to the weary in life, those worn out from all the walking, the working, and the waiting, and yet not receiving the desires of their heart. But verse 6 tells us that in their desperation, this leads them to cry out to the Lord for deliverance from their distresses. You see that same line in all four scenarios, that eventually their pain, their trial, it causes them to cry out to God for their help. And it's a reminder that we often don't truly cry out to the Lord until we get to a desperate place. This is one blessing in trials, that our helplessness actually is the thing that often pushes us to God. Well, we see that God hears their cry and God delivers them. In verses 7 and 9, it tells us that God comes to them, that he leads them out of the wilderness on a straight path and back to the city, a place where they can find rest and refreshment and shelter. It says that God feeds them, that God quenches their thirst and their hunger. But even more than physical hunger, notice it says that God satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, he fills with good things. So then because of that, verse 8 tells the people of God, it calls on them to give thanks to him. To give thanks not only for the deliverance, notice this, but also for what it tells us about who God is. Through this experience, they learn that God is faithful, that God is eager to hear their cry, and that God alone is their helper. He guides the wanderer out of the wilderness. And so when we feel lost and alone, God never has to send out a search party for us. He knows exactly where we are, and he is eager to lead us to refreshment and to safety. And so for all these things, they give thanks to God for what he's done and how those things reveal who he is. And the psalmist, the person who wrote this chapter, he hopes that we as readers, that will not only see God's grace in the past, but then we will trust that same grace today and tomorrow. That's the first group. The second group is seen in verses 10 to 16, and they are described as prisoners locked up in darkness. Now, the Bible often uses this language of slavery and imprisonment to refer to our bondage to sin, both for the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. And part of exile is not only that we're far from God in his kingdom, but that an enemy has taken us captive. So this passage, it speaks to those who know the powerful chains of sin, who have walked through addiction, or who feel their fallen flesh like shackles. The language of oppression and toil, it might remind us of that weight of guilt and shame that we carry. But the text also describes their prison cell as a place of darkness and gloom and sorrow. While the focus of this group is on sin, I think sufferers also know what it's like to be in prison, to be in darkness. 
Charles Spurgeon, who suffered with depression, he often used that language of a prison to describe his mental state during depression, almost as if like an iron bolt door was shut in front of him. And so I think you, you probably know what that's like. Through anxiety, through discouragement, through loneliness, you know what it's like to feel in prison, to feel like the cell door has been closed and locked and all the rays of God's love and hope have been shut off from you. We know what it's like to feel powerless before a trial or a temptation. But here again, notice that when God's people cry out to him, he comes to the rescue. Now, as a kid in the 90s, I grew up watching pro wrestling when Hulk Hogan was still a big deal. And his patented move was ripping his shirt from top to bottom. Now, this act, I think it was meant to prove how strong he was, but also to excite his fan base, the Hulkamaniacs. I remember being a kid watching that on TV and trying to do it from home and then realizing I was no Hulk. Now, there would be many episodes where Hulk would actually run in from the back. He would dive onto the stage either to defend a friend or to face a foe. Then he would give a body slam or a leg drop, and then he would stand over them in victory. And that's actually one thing that comes to mind for me when I read this passage. It's as if God runs into the picture, he defeats our giant, and then he flexes his muscles to show us his power. Listen to verses 14 and 16. It says that God brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, that he burst their bonds apart. For he shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts into the bars of iron. So he doesn't just unlock the prison door. It says that he kicks them down and he shatters it. He doesn't just remove our chains. It says he snaps them in two like a twig. The prison bars are broken in half. So he not only sets us free, but he gets rid of the weapons that could be used against us. And if you've ever felt the weight of your sin, then you love the deliverance of God. Nothing stirs up gratitude like God's grace to sinners. My favorite hymn, And Can It Be, it captures this in this stanza. It says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused or sent a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And so we are thankful, both in Psalm 107 and you and I today, we are thankful for redemption, for freedom, and the forgiveness we have through the blood of Christ. And if you are in Christ, he has pulled you out of that prison of guilt and shame. He kicked down those doors and he got rid of those chains. And so don't put them back on again today. We give thanks that this same power that set us free from sin and death is here to give us power today. We might be weak, but our God is not. You might feel helpless against a temptation, but your God is strong. He has the power to set you free today. And just like this group of people in Psalm 107, we are thankful both for the deliverance he gave, but also what it tells us about him. If you're listening today and you have never turned from your sins and embraced Jesus, I'd ask you, why wait any longer? Jesus 
is the sinless son of God who died on the cross to pay that debt, to get us out of our prison, to bring us into his family, to make us sons and daughters of God. And so trust in him today. Do what they did in Psalm 107. Cry out for deliverance today. Don't wait any longer. Well, the third group we see are in verses 17 to 22. They are the sick and the suffering from their own bad decisions. In Proverbs, a foolish person rejects God's wisdom and they trust in their own. They see themselves as the authority and not God. And here it's their foolishness that has led to sickness and suffering. As much as we hate to admit it, our own foolishness gets us into trouble. You know, I'm foolish when I return to the same sin and idols I said I never want to be around again. I'm foolish when I don't heed God's warnings, but I press on anyways. When he puts up a yellow light or a red light and I just speed on through. I'm foolish when I listen to Satan's lies, an enemy who hates me, rather than listening to the truths of my father who loves me. And so it is this group's sinful foolishness that has emptied them of all strength and resources. But again, notice that God is still merciful and kind. That when they cry out to him, despite their foolishness and their stubbornness, God still answers. It says that he sends out his word and he heals them. And so the sufferers in this text, they give thanks because they firsthand know the mercy of God, the healing power of God, the compassion and the comfort of God. They give thanks for the health they receive, but also what healing tells them about their God. Well, finally, in our fourth and final group, we have storm-tossed sailors. We have this picture of these people who are fearful that they're being pounded by the rains and the winds and the waves. If you've ever watched a show like Deadliest Catch, you can imagine the scene as the boat is going up and down in the waves. It says, this storm is so great, it tells us that they actually stagger around like drunken men looking for something to give them stability. It says they're at their wit's end, meaning all the skills and experiences they have as sailors means nothing as their boat bobs up and down like a toy in the water. Verse 26 says they're fearful that they're discouraged. They're ready to throw in the town. Now, this might seem foreign to most of us as Midwesterners. Our boat rides are usually calm local lakes or that occasional, occasional dolphin cruise on vacation. But if you've ever been on a turbulent airplane ride, you probably get the same sense. If you felt the plane drop and then drop again, you know what it's like to panic. Or as you're shaking and wobbling in a lightning storm, you start to think about how far up you are and how little this plane is and how devastating a lightning strike could be. And then you're fearful. You just want to land. And I think that's a bit of what this group is experiencing. And so who can see themselves in this story? I think it's anyone who feels small, who realizes how weak and helpless and limited they truly are. Anyone who feels like the waves have crashed on them, leaving them weary, worried, doubted, doubting, or just ready to throw in the town. Maybe 2020 as a whole has made you feel like you've been battered and bruised in a storm. While there's no promise that all of the storms in life will always stop, in this case, it says that God does deliver them. The God who stirred up the storm in verse 25 now stills it, verse 29. 
He quiets the weather, but he also quiets their heart. And so God spares their life, which they're thankful for, but he also proves his power and authority. They gain knowledge of God's sovereign rule over the weather, his good purposes for them, and his commitment to carry them safely through whatever they face. And so also for us, his promises are true. And though the storm might rage, he will carry us through it. It will not sink us or overwhelm us. God will carry us safely to shore. Well, throughout Psalm 107, what we've seen is how God's deliverance, it calls for thanksgiving. They thank him for these gifts, but they also give thanks for what these redemptive deeds tell us about God, the kind of God he is. And so my hope this morning is that we see then how significant thanksgiving truly is, that this kind of biblical thanksgiving is a conduit of communion with God and worship of God. One benefit of growing in this kind of thanksgiving is that it actually grows our trust of who God is. Here, our fears, our anxieties, and our trials, they get smaller and smaller as our view of God gets bigger and bigger. And that's not because the challenges go away, but it's because we've experienced that God is big, that he is in control, that he is good, and he is always working on our behalf. And so this act, this giving thanks, what it does is it fans into flame our faith and it pours water on the coals of our fears and our temptations. And so we rest in the God at the center of our thanksgiving. Well, I'd love to give dozens of applications to Psalm 107 and this important theme of thanksgiving, but I don't have time. But I do want to close with two final applications. First, Cultivate thanksgiving by starting this habit, a daily habit of recording the reasons you have to give thanks. And then respond to God in prayer. And so first you notice what you have to be thankful for. And then consider what does this tell me about God? And then actually respond and give him thanks. And now is a great time to start. 2020 might have felt like a year of grumbling, but 2021 can be a year of gratitude. Decide now to begin this year by practicing this spiritual discipline of thanksgiving. But it has to be a habit. You have to make a plan. And then finally, I just want to show us that in Psalm 107, we had these four groups of sinners and sufferers. But ultimately, the New Testament shows us that Jesus was the answer to every one of those scenarios. Remember that Jesus is the shepherd who guides the lost straying sheep out of the wilderness and into green pastures and living waters. We're told that Jesus is our light, that he's our hope in darkness, that he is the redeemer who lays down his perfect life to rescue us out of bondage to sin and death and darkness. Jesus is the great physician and the living word who comes to heal us, to restore us, and to one day fully resurrect us. And Jesus is the almighty one in that boat with his disciples who can calm the raging storm with one word. So we need not fear when we know he is near. He will carry you safely to shore. And so whatever it is that you are facing right now, the encouragement here is that you need to cry out to Jesus, that Jesus is your helper and deliverer. 
And if you are in Christ, we see again that we have more reasons for gratitude than for grumbling. We have everything we need and want in Jesus Christ. And so Thanksgiving is no cherry on top of the Christian life that we do when we can get around to it. But it's the heartbeat of a life with a good and gracious and glorious Savior. It's how we walk with him. And so give him thanks today and every day. Would you close with me in prayer? God, we do thank you for all the gifts that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have redeemed us out of bondage, that you are our helper, that you are our deliverer. So God, we trust in you. I pray that you would help us to be thankful this year, that we would consider all the blessings we have in Jesus Christ. I pray for open eyes to see who you are and how you are at work in our midst. God, we do thank you for who you are, for what you've done, and we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.